Hey everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. My name is Johnny Morrison, and with us as always is, you know, my very dear friend, Christian Serge. Oh, thanks for being my dear friend. I like that. <laughs> thanks for that introduction. Yeah, you know, I don't feel like that's a that's a true descriptor of you, and I don't feel like the superlative dear is used quite a bit. Is not and that's not used enough, you know? It's very true. I don't really call up my friends or text them, hey dear friend. It's usually like, hey friend. But uh, hey, everyone, each week and now for the next 23 <laughs> minutes, we're going to have a conversation about culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing well. Um, I had a I had a message from, um, I guess we can say a listener this week that feels like old time radio. Um, we've always talked about how the show was the right time for the average commute. So 23 minutes is the average commute. And she was saying that it is also the perfect time for... Uh, being woken up in the middle of the night by a newborn baby and having time to feed a child, she actually then puts on Smart Guy, Dumb Guy, and she's like, it's the perfect length of time for uh, a little nurse session. Oh, I love when babies nurse, and when they get done, they're just like super drunk with like nursing milk or like mammal milk, and they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> First of all, what a phrase. Um, <laughs> drunk with mammal milk. Yeah, that's true, though. <laughs> drunk with mammal milk and then knowledge from smart guy, dumb guy. Yes. Well, thank you, female listener. And I want to point that out. I know last week was uh, one of those episodes where I know my wife had a lot to say. And I actually said, hey, if you want to write something, I will read an apology online. But um, I didn't get any hate messages and I didn't get any other messages. So when you said, hey, I've got something to tell you, I thought it was going to be about that last week. What did she say? Well, she said, hey, I want everybody to know that uh, my husband is not a like misogynistic, you know, asshole that he actually, we run this household as equals hmm. and we really try hard to break the stereotype of gender roles. Hmm. Although I still take out the trash. <laughs> and as you've had conversations about which responsibilities is whose, that one's fall to you. Not because it's a masculine responsibility, but because you're an equal part of the human household. Okay, you've been talking to my wife. How does she know that? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I haven't actually very much recently, so. Thank you for uh, like explaining it that way. You know, I was raised um, in a household that was very patriarchal and... I loved growing up. I loved my father. I loved my mother. There were uh, gender roles back in the 80s and 90s that were very clearly defined. And I, I really feel like he respected uh, what my uh, mom did and my mom respected what he did. But now that I look at it now as an adult, especially in 2020, I really feel like what they were doing was less about gender roles, but more about what you just said, Johnny, the idea that we discussed it and we decided these are the things that we're going to do in our relationship. Mm. And while their relationship wasn't perfect, it, you know, he, my dad had things that he did and he did really well. Mm -hmm. And so did my mom and they celebrated each other in that. And that's really what I think, uh, was the heart of really what I wanted people to know about me. Um, last episode, even though it probably felt like I was a little bit more, um, you know, why not gender roles, but, uh, yeah, we work really hard in uh, our relationship, my wife and I, to um, you know split the the things that we need to do in the relationship as our you know talents like allow us that kind of mm -hmm. thing. I think I think we said that right at the end of the last episode. But the question for a couple is 
what fits the dynamics of the couple. And so Mm -hmm. if they find it to be liberating and fulfilling to both of their own like internal wirings to live into what are often known as like stereotypical or traditional gender norms, that's fine. Like as long as it's been negotiated and worked through and it's kind of a process of evaluation. And so if you find that leads to flourishing, great. I mean, I think more people uh, should do that. I really do. And I don't mean to should on everybody, but I really think that we all should, uh, you know, take our relationships and go, right, what, what talents, what can you do best? And what can I do best? Mm-hmm. What's our super talent? Like in uh, the company that I work for, uh, they're called Sonance and we sell speakers and we make speakers and we try to design them to disappear into your environment. But in that, um, we all really recognize our super talents, right? At work, we say, hey, this is your super talent. You're talented at doing marketing. You're talented at doing it video. You're talented at doing music. And they really try to capitalize on your talents. And I think that's kind of a micro look into maybe mm-hmm. what a relationship could do to be well. It's not about man or woman. It's about what uh, talents do you have? What's your super talent? And how, you know, can I reach uh, things higher? Yes, I can. So I probably <laughs> should you do that. Do I, do, do I have man strength? I'm, see, that's even a gender thing. Do I have, you know, physical strength to open up a can of spaghetti? Yes, I can probably do that. So, you know, hand me the, the spaghetti. If you can't open it, I'll open it for you. Sure. Yeah, that's true. I think that's exactly right. How are you made? How are you wired? Where do you lead? And then mutuality in a relationship is practicing deference to those places. Whereas, you know, I think traditional patriarchy would say all deference is shown to the patriarch of the household. And so even if I was gonna say, so even if you take on the roles that are more traditional, the question is still, do you show deference and practice mutuality with your partner? even in those traditional roles. That's really the question. Yeah. Well, I hope all the listeners out there are taking time to meet with their partners and talk through this because it is a really important subject. And I think this is something that when I talk about, um, I just don't know why we're ending up on the same or we're, we're going, like when we talk about the pandemic or Trump or politics, I'm like, why are we ending up on opposite sides of the planet? And I think a lot of it has to do with just communicating with each other and actually having empathy for each other. And I think that's a, a big message of this show. Mm-hmm. Totally. I subscribe to the New York Times daily list and they send me this daily list and I read the email and it talked about the electoral college. And I just went on this, just, you know, one of those kind of YouTube things where you start watching videos and you just keep going and going, and going. I did that with news and I started looking into the electoral college a lot. And I saw that it, it's a, uh, systemic racism just is rampant in the creation of what the electoral college is. And I know that there are people who are like, we should have it and we shouldn't. And to be honest, you only like the electoral college when it works in your favor. And if it doesn't, you hate it. (laughs) That is my point. But I think what's scary about this year, Johnny, is the article that I uh, posted up just like five minutes before we met There's a woman by the name of Shirley Weber, and she's the head of the California Legislative Black Caucus. And she was uh, one of the electors this year for California to go in and vote. And the Constitution, in the Electoral College, the Constitution doesn't force electors to vote for the popular vote. They have the right to vote for the other side. And that's one of the attacks that the Trump administration has really tried to force. As you saw last week, um, you know, 
different electors were trying to show up in Georgia and police were having to stop them. And they were having to meet in like secret locations. They were having to have CIA and CIA and FBI uh, protect them. And these are normal people. They're normal people like you and I. And most, if you do your research on electoral college, most of these people feel proud. They feel proud to go in and vote for what the people have voted for. Mm -hmm. And now, this year, because of our leader, Donald Trump, they are scared for their lives. They're, they're having death threats to vote. They're being pressured to not vote for what the populace, the populace says. They're being pressured to uh, hide and run. They're being uh, uh, even like people marched on one of the electors' lawns with guns, Republicans with guns, right? So now the tables have turns, turned. Republicans are like, you guys shouldn't, you know, protest and, and hurt each other. And now they're literally showing up with guns, threatening people's lives. Mm -hmm. And people who just believe that, like, this is their civic duty and they're honored to show up and cast their vote for the people. And it's interesting. Shirley Weber, she's a black woman. With 70 years ago, her grandfather was living in Arkansas and he was promoting voting. And within that, the entire uh, city where he was living, uh, the city where Bill Clinton was from, they uh, essentially threatened to kill him. And so just like a movie in the 19, late 1950s, he legitimately hid in the trunk of a car and drove to California to seek asylum from being killed because he was a black man, then waited several months, got a job moved his family, who Shirley Weber was one of his daughters here. And then throughout her life, they would host voting booths at his house. He thought it was so important to vote. This is an honorable black man. This is an honorable family who had to hide because of their color in the 1950s. Systemic racism is real. It stopped them. It, it threatened his life. These are honorable citizens trying to vote and to allow every vote to be counted. And you know what? It's troubling me. It's really troubling me. I really feel like America should take a moment, take a breath, put their guns down, put their uh, biases aside, put Trump away for crying out loud, put Trump away and be like, how do we come together on this? So my question is, please go read this article. How can we as a people come together when so many people are polarized by our leaders? I, I just don't know. And I'm losing hope. Yeah, it's a, it's a powerful story. So yeah, I do encourage you to read the article. Two things come to my mind during the, like in the question that you just asked. There's like the structural questions and then there is... But just like another side, we'll get to it in a second. Structurally speaking, I do think that the systems that we use uh, polarize America. So Americans, mm. our electoral process is a winner take all. And so mm. that is polarizing in and of itself because it's either one or another. And you always get the kind of extremes in that camp. Whereas like if you get rid of the electoral college and move into something like a ranked voting system, which is what like Ireland has and a handful of other countries around the world. I think you actually structurally maybe hopefully begin to change some of the polarization because say Trump was your first choice. 
but then you actually voted for Kasich second, and Hillary, this is like 2016, and Hillary was your first choice, but you actually voted for Kasich second. Kasich actually still gets votes, who's this like much more moderate, you know, mm. Republican figure that a hand that more people agreed on was better than these other two. And so I think you start to like have some structural advantages against polarization, but our system is built to polarize people. I didn't know that. Yeah. Super fascinating, huh? Wow. It's a great system. So like you just, and you're like, I think it, in Ireland you can, you know, if it's depending on the election, you'll have handful of people ranked. And so you might rank one through five. So number one is your first choice, but you have four other choices that you have to vote on and the votes get tallied for all of them. And then as one gets removed, votes, you know, kind of like move into this other place. And so I think you have potential for candidates that are actually less polarizing to have a chance in the election or candidates who wouldn't have a chance now. Like, I think this might actually disprove what I just said, but I think you have a chance for candidates unlike Biden, who were maybe a little bit more extreme than Biden, would actually have a legitimate chance because you rank it and maybe Biden's, you know, lower on your list, but... For other people, they had Bernie higher or Buttigieg higher or Yang higher or whatever. Well, I mean, our voting system is, what, over 250 years old? Mm-hmm. Like, we have new stuff, people. Yeah, we, we can, can do, do other it better. Things. <laughs> Jeez. We can do other things. Well, and I, John Adams admitted that the Electoral College came at the end of the Constitutional Convention out of, yep. out of exhaustion. Yep. Like, they, that was the question they were debating the most, and they were exhausted. And so they kind of, like, quickly write this solution to the problem, which which upholds the ascendancy of white slave owners uh, yep. as like a compromise. But it's it's a lazy solution and they knew it. They did. And they actually only counted black people as two thirds of a human. Yep. Yeah, so, so you get to add it to the Electoral College, but not, you know, they don't get a vote. I know. I think it's really funny too. So all of you, all of you out there who don't believe in systemic racism, this was a systemic this was a racist system that was put in place. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. Totally. Well, and it makes sense like why so many of the original presidents were from Virginia, which was like one of the largest slaveholding states in the original United States of America, right? Like blowing my mind. You right uphold now. the ascendancy of a certain group. But so that's like so I think there's solutions, right? There's practical, tangible solutions. But then there's this other side, which is like the bigger existential question of like, can America ever find a sense of unity? And how you said you weren't feeling a lot of hope. But I think, I think that we're on the precipice of something that could be hopeful, which Mm. is that everyone... You always have good hope. And I really appreciate that. (laughs) It's like, whenever I go to see your sermons, you're always like, you are a miserable human being and a sinner, but there's hope. (laughs) And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, hopefully the first part is like softer and gentler and, you know, I've... It is. You know, and more that you're alienated from yourself and others. But, um, yes. you know, just for listeners out there. Uh, yes. The thing, though, is that, like, we're on the precipice of hope because I think that everyone in America, in a new way, is beginning to question the system that we live within. Mm. So, you know, like what you just said, like, you like the Electoral College if you're winning. And so Republicans have for a long time been uh, proponents of the Electoral College. Actually, for... It, in the eighties, they were for getting rid of it until they realized it's how they won elections. Now all of a sudden the larger majority of Americans are against the electoral college. And I think as Americans, which this feels divisive and it feels even violent, but as Americans grow dissonant with the systems that we live within, 
that at first aims us against each other, most certainly. But I think it actually might create space as the thing unravels even further for us to get away from it altogether, which is mm. divisive, dividing, and it makes enemies of one another. And if the system unravels and we have nothing left and we all are questioning the same thing, but from different sides of the spectrum, I think at some point that actually creates the groundwork for us to do some unity things. Well, I hope that that groundwork is created. I hope that um, when we think about uh, people as human beings, uh, proud human beings, and mm -hmm. when we look at the Electoral College, when it's not in our favor, maybe we could actually go ahead and change that. I always feel like that in some sense, politics is legitimately just fooling me. I remember a story mm -hmm. when I was uh, a bellhop in Las Vegas, and I walked in, and I, I, I turn around, and there's this huge multi-level marketing company uh, there <laughs> having like a, 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 you know, a conference. It was called Amway. It was one of the original multi-level marketing companies. This lady, huh. I'm taking her bags up to her room, and she's like, hey, do you want to change your life? I'm like, uh... <laughs> Uh, not, not, not really. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. She's like, well, do you want to make more money than you're making now? And I was like, lady, you don't know how much money I'm making. Cause I, I was a bellhop. I was making good money, right? Like I'm in Vegas, you know, sometimes I would go heat up chicken for like a, a high roller and he'd give me a green chip, which is a hundred bucks, right? Like mm -hmm. I'd, I'd walk home with four or $500 a night and I was like, you know, 21 years old. So I was feeling like I was really, you know, really wealthy there. So anyway, she starts telling me about this multi-level marketing company. And at the very moment that I got that pitch on the multi-level marketing company, I felt lied to. A lot mm. like politics. And I know that's the article we're talking about today is that TikTok essentially banned multi-level marketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's a great segue, first of all. Um, <laughs> I think they're the same. Multi-level marketing and politics are the they same. Are. Uh, they yeah, are. They're the same. Uh, Lies. Uh, yeah. Lies. Yeah, all lies. All a machine to fake. exploit you and make money for those at the very top. Um, fake news. Fake news. Um, so this I, this is an article that's kind of in a different direction from a lot of the conversations we've been having lately. It's like just less heavy, but I, I think it's very interesting. So yeah, so TikTok updated their user policies and basically banned multi-level marketing pitches from their platform. And if you're on Instagram or Facebook especially, like they're just everywhere. Like these secret these uh, kind of subversive, subtle, multi-level marketing companies that, you know, this like white girl that you went to high school with is now doing and she messages you and says it changed her life and you want to do it too. Like they're all over the place. And as I was reading the article, I was like, I think TikTok might have just saved itself. I think like, because I think that's the big concern and hate that people have for social media like Instagram is that it's overly corporate. It's there's too many people trying to sell you too many things. And the only way to compete in the world in that space is to spend money or to like, you know, whatever. And TikTok just banned it outright. And I was like, I think they might've just sold them. They saved themselves from going the same way that Instagram or other social media platforms did. So I guess that is the question though, is um, do you think that TikTok just changed the game um, and did something really radically different than the other social media companies? And did they save themselves from going the direction that other social media companies have? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to like my opinion on this one, but... Okay, so let me get this straight. Uh -huh. TikTok, a video website that essentially is made up of 95% of young girls dancing with very little clothes on to music and lip syncing 
And then they banned multi-level marketing, so they essentially kept it a soft porn website. A soft like porn? 95% is a really high. That's a really high I just, statistic. I, okay, n- number one, I'm not on TikTok. But number two, every time, <laughs> I see, every time I see a TikTok, it's just like some like yoga instructor dancing to a song and or swapping clothes from like being in sweats to being in something that like shows mm. her midriff or, or mm-hmm. under boob. Or um, like one listener told me I said panties too much last uh, episode. <laughs> like showed her panties. Like I, I just, sorry, I won't say it again. I promise. But the point is, I don't know if they saved themselves. I think they made themselves more popular by not allowing multi-level marketing because they're doing too well in the soft porn industry, promoting child sex or something. I don't, I don't know. I, I just, I'm not informed on TikTok. So please, yeah, that's a, Reverend, <clears throat> give, give me some, give I mean, me that's, some truth. I don't know. I don't know the demographics of our listener base. Um, so I don't know <laughs> how many of them are TikTok users. Um, but uh, it's not just whatever it is that you described. It's um, not? No, no. My For You page doesn't show any of that. So I don't know what that says about you <laughs> or about me. I don't have a TikTok. So I um, only see TikTok through like Instagram where people post like their TikTok reels mm-hmm. to Instagram. I probably should get a TikTok and figure out what it actually is all about. I don't know. That's a good question. I, if you don't have an account too, it's, I don't know how the algorithm is working. Um, and, I, and I will say like, there is definitely that on, on TikTok. Would you say it's well, 65%? I don't know. I, I couldn't put the statistic there cause it's not what I <laughs> experience okay. on the app. Um, what do you experience? Uh, lots of funny videos, educational videos. Um, what? Yeah. But here's what I, here's what I think is fascinating. So, um, <laughs> here's what I think is fascinating. So uh, my primary exposure to TikTok comes from my wife. Um, and it feels a bit like the wild west of social media still, where it's like, it's still a space where people can do things that are creative or weird or just like, like pointless. Like people can do all sorts of things on TikTok. And on Instagram, you can't like not really anymore. Like if you want to have a legitimate presence on tick on Instagram, it has to be pretty curated mm. and that's because it's become so corporate, but in banning MLMs from and MLM pitches from the platform, I think that TikTok might've just taken a step in maintaining some of that kind of wild Westness where it's like you have not funneled more money into the system. So it still has space for, weird things or people who are just limp syncing and they're not, it's just weird. And you're just like, or see, you know, grandma saying funny things, which is my favorite, my favorite genre of TikTok. Arizona is considered the wild west and you can buy a M60 machine gun if it's pre 1990. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? TikTok is because I mean, there's, that's probably some truth to that, that that is also (laughs) on there. Um, whatever the digital equivalent of buying an M16 is, but also like, M60, a 60 caliber weapon that you That's have to great. mount in a truck. Yeah. Well, you know, Arizona is a weird place. It's really yes, the it Florida is. of the desert. Yes, um, it is. But I, I think like it's just fascinating. Like what happens to a platform that, ref- that, that protects its users from that kind of guerrilla sales pitches? Does, I okay. guess that is the question. Does it allow TikTok to maintain some creative space for people who are doing creative things for, and that, that would never make money on Instagram or other sources. Hmm. Um, does it protect them from that? Well, interesting because once a company starts to censor something, 
then it becomes not so much the Wild West, right? Hmm. And I think the the idea of, of uh, the what's that the natural law the strongest survive. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we live in a world where um, fake news or false, you know, like gossip runs faster than truth. Mm-hmm. So while they're trying to stop MLM, I have to wonder from a China-based company, what are they trying to do? Why did why did they want to stop MLM marketing? What's the point? I know that they talk about, uh, you know, these young minds. And these young kids who they don't want to be susceptible to MLM, but MLM, they're not the devil. All you got like they're not the devil in this. There's much worse things out there, right? Like Pornhub stopped taking MasterCard and Visa. That's a change. TikTok stopping MLM? I don't know, man. I don't know. I was like, okay. But why would that change anything? Here, here's what I think about it is when there was a moment in the NBA when it was no longer fun to watch basketball because there was no serious caps on how much a team could pay to have the best players. So you have Miami is loaded. LA is loaded. And then all of a sudden small market teams like the jazz have no room to compete or small market teams like the bucks or whatever. They just have no room to compete. So I think this is Adam silver does it. They put on a cap that you can spend so much money on your overall team base. And then after the cap is hit, you can still spend money, but for every dollar you spend, you have to pay $10 into the NBA fund, which then gets um, dispersed into low market teams or just to teams generally. And it fundamentally changed the game of basketball where the Jazz is a competitive team now because money is being split and it's expensive to do certain things. It was an amazing move. TikTok's not doing so, that. So yes, huh? TikTok is not doing that. I think, well, what I, I think it is in a bit. <laughs> I think it is in a sense, right? Like, it's not the same. I'm not trying to compare it to the same kind of move. But in regulating how much money can shape the the media landscape of an environment, I think you actually keep it a bit more wild. It's like you're building a better canvas as opposed to the canvas being totally commoditized and taken over by um, corporate interest or even moneyed influencers. Like you're kind of you're downplaying how much room there is for that that thing which creates room for something else. Well, the room that it creates for something else, I don't think it's healthy. I, I have not seen the social dilemma, but I know it's not healthy. <laughs> TikTok like is not healthy. I am. I do. I sound like a dad right now. I'm, I'm sorry. This move to take MLMs out of was legitimately not for the people. Hi, Tori. Is not for the people. It is legitimately for them. They're making a move. Shit. Well... I just missed something really important. So all the things that I said might have been empty. Um, my wife just informed me that the company that bought TikTok is Shopify, the primary or maybe one of the primary online uh, storefronts for businesses, both small and pretty large. So her point was, uh, yeah, they might have banned MLMs, but now everything will be purchasable and sellable on TikTok. I'm, t- I'm telling like when people make big moves like that, when companies make big moves and they make it a big deal, all it does is put them in the limelight and it lets them be more popular and then they can make a decision that's better for them. This country, it is it is capitalism at the core. This is it's not true. for us. This I, is I not have for a, us. I have, another, <laughs> I have another correction. Oh my gosh. It doesn't look like Shopify purchased TikTok. It looks like Shopify partnered with TikTok, but it's to make it an e like to make it an e-commerce app. 
why don't we just have Tori get on the show and tell us what the real story is? Well, I don't think she, you know, she keeps updating me because she told me the wrong one the first time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting though, like, um, that's the question is, did they ban MLM saying it's for protecting of people, but it's actually to protect this new uh, strategy to make things more of an e-commerce site? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's probably if you true. Have, if you have a billion dollars soaked into a company, uh, that is the discussion. What's hurting our business and how do we increase the bottom line? How do we increase the top line? And how do we make this better for us, not for the people? That's true. Like, that is true. That's 100% true. I 100% agree with that, that it's not for the people. I still wonder, though, if by eliminating the incentive to use the platform for, for MLMs, if you do still... Um, undermine some of the ways in which Instagram became super corporate, is it, which is really mm. the original question I was asking. It's like, do you yeah. save yourself even just a little bit from becoming what Instagram became? I guess we will find out in the coming weeks. <laughs> or in 2021, after we get the vaccine and yeah, right. do, our, do our TikToks on the vaccine. So we'll, we'll show up in like sweats and we'll do our vaccine and then we'll jump to the music, some kind of Jay-Z tune. And mm -hmm. we'll be wearing some scantily clad weird thing or some like cool little cowboy outfit. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. we have a TikTok. Great. Nailed it. Hey, everyone. That ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Would you leave us a review? And just like Johnny said, help us paint a canvas of a new story here <laughs> on Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Share this with your friends. Email us. Give us some subjects to talk about. Thank what about you for TikTok. Yeah, what about TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, smartguydumbguy.com, that'll get you there. Hey, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to us ramble and talk. And thank you for having conversations on your own. Keep having them. We'll see you next time. Thanks. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.